Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. We're in chapter four now. We're working our way through, verse by verse, through Nehemiah in a series that we're calling Starting Over. I don't have to tell you that these last 13 months have proved to be the most challenging time, at least in my lifetime, uh, and for everyone alive, I think. But um, I don't know about you, but I like to use humor to get through hard times sometimes. Um, You know, I I think that we're going to cry anyway, so, you know, why not laugh along the way? Uh, if, if all you're going to do is cry, then uh, you're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities to laugh. And um, I try to keep my humor, um, you know, uh, above board. Debbie helps me with that. She'll say, yeah, you probably should not uh, tell that joke. But um, so she has become a, a filter for me. But um, uh, the other day I was uh, on Facebook and someone said they, they wondered if uh, all this was happening because we didn't forward that email to uh, 10 people before midnight. Uh, <laughs> yeah, another person wondered if, if all the babies that were, have been born nine months after COVID started, uh, you know, from December 15th on, I guess, uh, if we shouldn't call them the coronials. <laughs> kind of thought that was interesting too. Maybe we should do that. Um, one lady's husband uh, surprised her with a, a full-size, you know, great big world wall map. And he said, honey, I'm going to hold this up, you know, over my head like this. And I want you to get across the room and I want you to throw a dart at it. And uh, wherever it hits, that's where I'm going to take you on vacation when, you know, everything opens back up again. And, uh, and, and the lady said, well, uh, as it turns out, we're spending two weeks behind the refrigerator. So, you know, hey, they save money, right? You know, that's not. And, and while it may help to, to laugh at our problems, and I think it does, occasionally if we're not uh, careful to keep our focus and our eyes on what God has for us and remember who it is um, that's our Father, our Heavenly Father, yeah, um, that uh, we can fall into a pit of discouragement and become prisoners of the despair that uh, accompanies that. And today's message, we're back in with our uh, story where the Jews are rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah has set up this incredible, amazing uh, plan for rebuilding this, the, the wall around Jerusalem. We're going to jump back into that. Today's message is a continuation of this series, as I've said, called Starting Over. And, um, and today our sermon, our message is titled, Overcoming Discouragement. I have every confidence that if I uh, asked you guys to all raise your hand if you've been discouraged in the last 90 days, that just about all of us would have our hand in the air, and some of us would have two hands in the air because we've been really discouraged. Discouragement is no respecter of a person. It, it, uh, it visits the rich and the poor and the young and the old, the powerful and the weak, the famous and the obscure. The truth is, it visits all of us at some time and uh, an interval in our lives. And if it were a virus, it would have a 100% infection rate, I think. Discouragement visits us all. So let's close in prayer and we'll be finished. I'm sure that's why you didn't come to church. We're going to encourage you right now. And uh, uh, 
It's all in our story today from Nehemiah. We'll look at both the cause and cure for discouragement from God's word today. There are, there are two types of causes that I see for discouragement. One has its roots in the internal and the other in the external. So let's first look at the external cause for discouragement and how to respond to, uh, to these. The wall builders, as, as we left them, were building the wall, and they were doing a wonderful job of that. And uh, the wall, they say, was somewhere in the neighborhood of um, 18 to 20 feet tall. And so at this point, they're about halfway. They've built half the wall. So they've built nine or 10 feet of it. And, uh, and they've had, uh, they began with great anticipation and joy. Nehemiah notes that the people worked with all their heart. Things were going well. The people were excited and the wall was going up. But then, like so many other projects that uh, God has us do and get involved in, something happened. You know, we, we always have the best laid plans of everything being perfect, but along the way, something happens. The wrench gets into uh, the gears and, and we, uh, we can run into problems. Getting the work started on the wall was a, a major achievement, but keeping the workers motivated provided to be a much tougher assignment for Nehemiah. Someone has said uh, that exhilaration is that feeling you get just after the great idea hits you and right before you realize why it won't work. <laughs> uh, see, where God is, is going to use you and, and the plans that he has for you, oftentimes we get so exhilarated and, and excited about that. But how, do you, how many of you know that the enemy uh, isn't going to stand by and watch this happen? Today, your wall might be the wall of the, uh, lost finances. It might be the wall of, uh, of lost health. It might be a broken relationship or the death of a loved one or the death of a dream that you carried for so long. Listen, the enemy of our souls, the call of the world and the weight of the flesh are ever present. But we are not without recourse as followers of Christ and children of the Most High God who loves us and gave himself for us. Amen. We don't have to walk this road alone. In fact, I would advise you not to because you won't do it very well or for very long. Let's put it that way. If you hang on to the Lord, if you walk forward with him, he will see you to the finish line. Rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem was certainly no exception to this truth. When people take kingdom priorities seriously, Satan stirs up agitators to block the work of God. And these enemies show up as two types of external forces that we're going to talk about today. Uh, if you take notes, I encourage you to do so. You can flip the bulletin over and do that now. And the first one of these forces are the external, external force and the enemy of ridicule. Number one, the enemy of ridicule. Look down at verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? This is the third time in the book that we encounter Sanballat, who is Nehemiah's toughest and most vocal oppo opponent. 
Every time we read about him, he is standing against the work of God, rejecting and ridiculing everything that Nehemiah and God's people are trying to accomplish. Someone has said that ridicule is the language of the devil. I think that's one of the things he does best. He starts making fun of you or or me, and he starts bringing up things from the past in our lives that we've done or said or didn't do. And, And the enemy is so good. The language of the devil is ridicule. He uses it to try to convince you and I to quit. It's our job not to listen to him, but turn up the volume on what God has to say. The enemy regularly insults the servants of God. You may remember the story of Goliath as he ridiculed the young shepherd when he came against the giant with only a sling and five stones he had gathered from the river. He, looked at, he took one look at David, little David, you know, maybe five foot, you know, nothing. And, um, and, and about that time, he was maybe 15, 16 years old. And he's the only little soldier that walks out of the, uh, onto the field to face Goliath. And Goliath looks at him and, and looks at the, at the Israel army and goes, you come at me with a little puppy dog? Are you kidding me? Are there no men out here today? And he starts ridiculing David to his face. And he goes, I mean, you know, basically, you know, this is the Ben Harris version, so don't write this down. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to eat you for lunch, little boy. And then David says, really? Well, I come at you with the most high God on my side. And today, I, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so ridicule. The enemy uses it all the time. You may remember the soldiers mocking Jesus during the trial and afterwards. Um, and the crowd ridiculing him on the cross as Jesus hung there on the cross. The enemy might be telling you that you're all alone. That's one of the things he likes to tell you. He tries to separate us out because if he can separate you and I out from the herd, then he can attack full force. So what we're doing here this morning, by the way, you're with the herd, stay with the herd. You're tougher, you're stronger that way. Of course, all of these are, are lies from the pit of hell. Our strength comes from the Lord, the maker of both heaven and earth, Scripture tells us. And, uh, and, and you can't lose sight of that. So follow God all the way through. He's got a plan. Sanballat and his cronies had begun to ridicule the workers even before the work started. Clear back in chapter 2, verse 19, where we read that they laughed at us and despised us, Nehemiah said. So from the beginning, here comes the guys that are going to chip on you, the guys that are going to ridicule. Here in chapter 4, Sanballat is making a speech in the presence of the army of Samaria, intensifying the power of this ridicule. Notice that he called the workers feeble. The word uh, in the Hebrew literally means uh, those who are withered or miserable. Feeble. But, most, uh, but as most of us know, God loves to use the feeble things of this world to confound the wise and the powerful. I think he picks guys like little David. He picks guys that, you know, that uh, were, were just street cops to go tell people about Jesus. You know, he uses them too, I should say, add that to him. He doesn't just use the great orators. He uses somebody like me to do it. And I'm glad he does. Next, Sanballat ridiculed the job that they were doing by asking four taunting questions. First, he asked, will they restore their wall? 
That must have made the Samaritan army laugh. Uh, Basically, he's asking, how could these feeble, remember, people build their wall strong enough to keep your armies out of it? The second question he asked was, will they offer sacrifices? Sanballat is saying that it will take more than prayer and worship to get this city back on its feet again. Then he asked, will they finish in a day? suggesting that the workers had no idea of how difficult this task was going to be and that they would soon quit. And finally, he asked, can they bring these stones back to life? Now, you may recall 70 plus years prior to this, you know, they refused to surrender to the Babylonian uh, army. They refused to surrender to God's discipline. And so God sent the army, and the army eventually uh, invades uh, Jerusalem, uh, just sets it on fire. These stones that they're trying to, you know, rebuild the wall with are all burned and have been through a very hot fire. Many of them are likely cracked and, and unusable. And so he's indicating that, hey, even the stuff you're building this wall with is not going to last. And he's making fun of them. Now in verse 3, it was Sanballat's cohort, Tobiah's turn to ridicule the workers. And he uses the tool of sarcasm. Uh, You'll note that fools often run in packs. They usually are all by themselves. These guys that, that want to attack and, and ridicule and uh, the work of the Lord, they often come, you know, in packs. Well, Tobiah asks, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. That's right up there with, um, I know you are, but what am I? You know, probably not an intelligent man. Uh, By the way, archaeological excavation on these walls revealed that they were nine feet thick when they were finished. So imagine this wall that's 20 feet in the air, nine feet thick. And you could drive chariots side by side on this wall. Still, the workers became the punchline of every joke and everyone had a laugh at their expense. Tobiah hoped that his sarcasm would lead to the workers' discouragement and them walking away. Friends, whenever you attempt to get involved in the work of God, you will likely encounter ridicule. Expect it. Just don't stop the work that God has you doing. Pray, continue the work, and follow God's plan all the way to the finish. Well, there are two types of external forces we're talking about. Uh, We've talked about the enemy of ridicule. Now let's talk about the enemy of oppression. The enemy of oppression. Verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. Now it's up about 9 or 10 feet. For the people worked with all their heart. When you work with all your heart and others come alongside of you, you get big things done. Verse 7, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. It's interesting, when you go to do something uh, with the Lord, for the Lord, and at His bidding, uh, these people just pop up from all over the place. 
As we begin to make plans for the uh, event, Celebrate America out there in the field, you know, last year was uh, really difficult because I had no, you know, we had no precedent for this. But this year, I have a list of all these folks that I can call. And you may remember um, a bus company that will remain unnamed. Uh, a bus company that uh, provided transportation between here and Eagle High School so that we could get pe- more people in here. And this year, we're going to need even more as we try to fill the field with 2,000 people. And so I sent them an email and, and said, hey, we'd love to have you guys back out. We need an extra bus this year. And, um, <clears throat> you know, let me know if that's going to work. And they sent back and said, wait a minute. You had an event last year that was a Trump rally. No, we didn't. (laughs) Um, They said, you made our drivers feel very uncomfortable. And by the way, we don't appreciate it. And we're not going to help you. Uh, I said, okay, well, first of all, we didn't have a Trump rally. But um, second of all, we're just a bunch of patriotic Christians. And we were uh, celebrating our country. Neener, neener. So... (laughs) (laughs) We'll take our money somewhere else, and we'll find another bus company that'll help us. But when you go to do something like that, expect things like that. The world's not going to want you to do that. The enemy certainly doesn't want us to, um, you know, share the good news. And and the last thing he wants is for people to come to Christ that day. So he's going to throw all kinds of things at us. First, Nehemiah's and the people's enemy, uh, enemies were used, uh, they used verbal ridicule and an effort to stop their progress. And when that didn't work, they upped their game and they began using threats to harm them. Warren Wiersbe writes, God's people sometimes have difficulty working together, but the people of the world have no problem uniting in opposition to the work of the Lord. Isn't that true? Man, they, they uh, come together a lot quicker than a lot of us churches do. Well, listen, our world may be getting more hostile towards God's people, but we don't change course mid-storm. We set our compass on God and we follow Him all the way home to heaven. That's my goal, and I hope it's yours as well. I want to see us all set the compass on heaven, keep our eyes on Him all the way home, so that when we get home and we lay eyes on Jesus Christ for the first time, face to face. I want to hear, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Wasn't easy, but you worked. You you were faithful. That's what I want to hear, and I know that's what you want to hear. That's why you're here. Well, we've looked at some of the external sources and, uh, for discouragement. Now let's look at some of the internal sources for, uh, of discouragement from our Bible story today. And that's number one, the enemy of fatigue. The enemy of fatigue. Verse 10, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. External forces will oftentimes cause internal turmoil. We are physical people as well as spiritual people. Famous coach Vince Lombardi used to say that fatigue makes cowards of us all. We need to know where our limits are, and we need to work within them. And we need times of refreshment, that we go and we just relax, and we just kind of get our batteries uh, charged. This is what Debbie and I got to do last weekend. We uh, pretended we were tourists down in in, in Boise, and uh, we took our bicycles, and, and we just had a great time. 
uh, with each other. You know, uh, we tend to uh, get so focused on what's going on here that uh, we've, you know, and, and it's me and not her. Um, I, I lose focus of the relationship sometimes. And, and it's always good to go take some time together and just say, hey, it's still you and me, babe. It's still you and me. And, uh, and so we did that. We got on these bikes and we headed um, uh, south from Boise. And we were just having a great time and pedaling was so easy. It was like I was, you know, um, 50 again. <laughs> and, and so we were headed and having a ball and we went out about nine miles and, um, and then uh, we needed to come back. And when we turned around, we realized that the wind had been pushing us. <laughs> <laughs> at 47 degree wind and so we turn around and there's this you know this nice cold air in your face and it's, it's a little harder to um you know to pedal that way coming back home but we had a wonderful time together and i would encourage all of you to get together with your spouse soon and just do something just go get away and just take a break you know from whatever's going on it's important. You know, we even see Jesus taking time alone to refresh himself. You know, Mark 135, he gets up very early in the morning. He goes out and he prays where by himself, not with the disciples. They are still snoring. And, uh, and then we see Jesus after he fed the 5,000. He sends the disciples in the boat and he goes cross over to the other side. And he goes up to the mountains to pray with his father. You know, um, we see Jesus asleep at the, at the bow of the boat. Um, relaxing, just sleeping, you know, taking a nap. So I told Debbie, naps are spiritual. Jesus, when I'm taking a nap, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. So, <laughs> Number one, we see the enemy of fatigue. Don't get fatigued. When you start to get fatigued, understand that. Get away with the Lord. Get away with someone you love and just spend time with them and get your batteries charged and then get back in the battle. Yeah. So next we see, number two, the enemy of disappointment. Not only were they fatigued, but they were disappointed in the amount of work to be done. It was taking so much of their strength that it felt like they were getting so little done. And if you read the word, um, uh, you know, as they're building the wall, it says there was so much trash around. Remember, they've been, they've been gone 70 plus years. So, you know, who knows what's being dumped there at the walls of Jerusalem. Maybe that became the dump. I don't know. But even tearing the walls apart would have had all kinds of material, broken pieces and, and the mortar, you know, breaking apart. It, it was all dumped in, in a big trash heap. They're trying to pick up these big, large stones and rebuild the wall in the midst of all of this stuff that's, you know, up to their knees probably. And, and they're getting very frustrated and they're getting disappointed that the work is taking longer and it's harder. Um, have you ever felt like that, by the way? Have you felt like the faster you work, the more behind you get? Uh, you know, things that you didn't plan for? I can remember pulling apart a uh, wall in a, in a house that I lived in many years ago that I was trying to, um, re, you know, rebuild. And um, thinking it was going to be an easy weekend job, but when I, when I pulled the wall open, it, it was just a mess behind the wall. There were leaky pipes, and, and it ended up being, you know, costing me thousands of dollars more than I planned and, and a lot more weeks than I had planned for. Sometimes you start the work, and it's not going along like you had planned, and certainly that's the story we're looking at here. Sometimes we need just to reevaluate our priorities and get rid of anything that's weighing you down. You know, it's hard to do, do the work of the Lord if you're carrying around baggage from your past life. 
much of the stress weight we carry around with us that feels uh, that bring, brings us to feeling disappointed can be thrown off if we'll ask God's, God for help and remember who we've become as Christ followers. Guilts like past failures, past disappointments, and past wounds that we regularly find ourselves dwelling on, get rid of them. You're not designed to carry them. You know, I, I use them like, I, I use the metaphor like this, you know, you got a backpack on and when you come, you know, before you come to Christ, that backpack is full of rocks and it's overwhelming. Yes, you can walk and you can, you can function, but it is hard to do so. You're tired all the time. You're in pain all the time. But when you come to Christ, he bids you to take that off because he died for everything in your past. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.